Hello and welcome to They Just Get It. I'm your host, Tyler Chisholm, and I'm excited as I always am to have my guest on today, Mr. Aaron Volpati. How you are, Aaron? Good, Tyler. Thanks for having me, man. My pleasure, man. What's going on? How are, uh, how are things in the world of a retired NHL player, an author, a cognitive performance coach, a guy that's kind of living life by his own terms? I'm really excited to chat with you. So with that intro, what's going on in your world these days, man? Yeah, it's, uh, it's been a crazy few months. So yeah, my book came out pretty much three months ago in, in uh, the end of October 2022. Congrats, so mm-hmm. yeah, we've been been on a little bit of a North American book tour and trying to run the business along with that, <laughs> with my uh, <laughs> cognitive performance business. So You're wearing a black hat today, but I, pe- I picture you have many hats on your desk, or right. the, 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 the ultimate uh, entrepreneur of many, many, many hats in, in all hours of the day. You know, it's, well, it's funny. I actually was, I had a toque on and I was like, yeah, maybe I should wear a it worked for my so meta the, i had two hats the, the, on the many toques story doesn't today. really work that well but yeah yeah, gotcha. yeah, yeah. So, hey okay. let's 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 break it down for the audience so you played for the washington capitals of course i'm on your linkedin creep creeping creeping you out you just came live with a book and you've got a business on the go so maybe let's start with i'm sure we'll work in the hockey story and how we got here but the business and the book let's talk about those because those are your two main kind of thrust of things you're working on right now correct yeah that and speaking so i have a, oh, cool, I have nice. a bunch of speaking gigs keynotes book uh, five of them for this year. So um, a lot of that has been spurred spurred by the book, which was my was part of my plan, right? To drive other avenues there. And yeah, again, share the story. And I, at the end of the day, all these areas of, of my business, the book, the coaching, the speaking, they're, they're all, you know, in, uh, there's, it's an umbrella. So there's different arms of, course, of that. They of all have, you know, similar messaging, right? And that's, part of my story which which i guess we'll dive into well, right? we, we absolutely are this is like just get into the story guys so fighter <laughs> define the the odds uh, i'm sitting here on uh, on amazon i've got up in front of me so tell us a little bit about the book what's because obviously that's i'm assuming that is the story right kind of pulled together yeah. in, in, into this narrative yeah it's really about my journey from the burn unit to the nhl and and life after hockey was uh just as difficult maybe arguably more difficult and really reframing the idea of, of adversity and, and how it's always been a gift for me and being able to, to reframe that through, you know, the hard times and through that, you know, through all the shit really. And <laughs> uh, call it what it is, man. So two, 2005, that was the, that was the burn. Uh, so, like again, reading, yeah. reading some of your bio and some of the key dates that popped out for me and kind of picking a landmark. You can go too far back when you tell a story, but 2005 sounds like that was where things really pivoted in terms of where the story started to really unfold. Yeah, and I, for me, I really got thrust into that adversity later, a little bit later. I mean, I, okay. my, my childhood was awesome. Nothing really stands out for adversity. I dealt with some, some bullies that a lot of kids maybe deal with or go through. Um, you know, but other than that, my home life, my family, it was... I look back with with nothing but I mean fun fun memories, good times, admiration for you know how my parents raised us and lived their lives and and all that stuff. And then yeah, this burn accident happened. How old were you in two thousand five? So I was nineteen, just about twenty when this accident happened. Uh, that's an, that's an interesting and, age because that's a real transition and things are starting. Yeah, to come together. yeah, yeah. Okay. Well, so you're, yeah, you're nineteen, twenty, and a burn happens. What's what? What was the story around the burn? Yeah, well, I was just going to say leading into that. So when I went to play junior hockey, I mean, it kind of started around my grade 12 year going into junior A in, in Vernon where, I mean, I snuck in as as a fighter, as a grinder. I mean, I could always hit and skate, but <laughs> I wasn't really that good. So I'm like, I'm going to have to really, nur- you know, nourish that role and, and yeah. embody that fighter role. And with that, you know, kind of I look back now and I can realize that I was feeding a bit of a young ego there right embodying that fighter stereotype I was like oh I'm getting some attention from from girls maybe or really seeking out that adrenaline and and thought that I had to be that like crazy guy off the ice too and uh so that and again I can look back and reflect back now and realize that was kind of that was kind of what was happening right and so again with that came this uh sense of 
invincibility that maybe a lot of us have at that age, especially maybe as a man in hockey. I, I don't know at all what you're it, talking about. Yeah, <laughs> I'm right. laughing because I'm like, oh man. Well, we yeah, yeah, sorry. So do, did you, are you reading my bio, like a bio that I give you? But yeah, that's <laughs> but such yeah, an interesting done... age. And you get into like what you know, you and I grew up watching toxic yeah. masculinity and like so much of what our society talks about today more openly. Right. That was just the way it was, man. <laughs> it was, yeah. And I mean, <laughs> totally. I was that guy on the on our team. If it was like, Patty's the daredevil. If they say jump up, you know, how high and take it two steps further kind of thing, okay, right? I and, got it. You're painting a picture. I see. <laughs> and so, you know, our season ends and the year before, you know, I was a pyro too. So I was always messing around with gas and firing, blowing shit up and being irresponsible, right? And so after we lost this, my second year in Vernon, they said, you know, I mean, back then we went and partied for a week straight, right? After the season's over. I don't know what the kids do now, but uh, that was what we did, right? And so, and my teammates were, were asking me, are you going to do your pyro show? And I said, hell yeah. And in my head, I'm like, okay, hey, how can I make this bigger and better? And, and I think, well, more gas. And yep. so I was basically like making a spin off a Molotov cocktail and basically blowing up bottles of gas okay and uh yeah not smart right no 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 i, I get it man but, well done yeah no 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 judgment i'm just like i'm just sitting in the weight of what i know is coming at the end of the story <laughs> it's all fun and games till someone gets hurt right yeah and yeah no doubt so so again this year i had uh two a wine bottle and like the old colt 45 bottles and so they're full of gas and i have them in my like kangaroo pouch in my sweater pocket and i'm going around the party we're obviously drinking, being irresponsible, and all of a sudden I'm soaking wet. So the two bottoms of the bottles had hit and spilled. And so now I have a liter and a half of gas on my torso and legs. And, you know, probably five minutes go by. And I know that there's a, so we're camping, we're out in the bush camping. There's a big bonfire. I know there's a fire there. I know I have gas on myself, but I didn't respect the dangers of that and the vapors that come with that and they they kind of settle around you right being more dense and yeah i five minutes went by and i was like i reek like gas i got to get rid of this sweater and i don't know if i was being a good samaritan and didn't want to just litter or i figured hey i might as well just light this thing on fire and let it burn kind of thing but and i thought i kept with a, a safe distance away and I kind of gave the ground a little kick as I tossed it in there. And it was just like a detonator cord to dynamite. And it just followed me up. And, and I, I blew up, basically. And, and off, off I, I ran. Unfortunately, it was the worst thing. That fight or flight kicks in, and I just bolted. And that's how it all, that's how it all started, this whole journey. Yep. Running through the bush, burning uh, in flame. I'm curious, and I really appreciate this was in 2005 and you've had a lot of time to retrospect and think about it, but talking about yourself and the way that you are and as someone who's always on a journey of looking back and trying to be better tomorrow than I was yesterday. But sometimes that reflection is hard and you had a forced situation that kind of hit you and which we'll get into that. Mm-hmm. But just some of the, some of the, the dialogue you're using around, like I was being irresponsible. I was, you know, I was living up to this role on and off the ice. I'm just curious through the course of your own journey, uh, that level of awareness, did that come like through the burn and having to really take stock or is that just over the years looking back going, wow, okay, how not to be that guy or man, I don't really, I can't even relate to that guy anymore. Just curious about that journey and how you were able to identify. Cause looking back at our younger selves, sometimes it's interesting. It's humbling to go, Oh man, I was a total knucklehead. Jesus. But that just yeah. doesn't happen overnight for some, some people. It does. Some people it takes years. Some people it never, it never comes to a realization. Right. Just curious about that journey around just the way you were talking so honestly about younger you as this almost like this knucklehead character <laughs> sorry that's my word knucklehead. no i was told yeah I, <laughs> so it's such a good question um i mean big picture it hasn't come until later yep. um honestly a lot of it is especially through like writing the book and it really is therapeutic and you really do a deep dive there yeah, yeah. that that being said i i know and this is where it gets tricky because as we'll talk about that injury was the best one of the best things that's ever happened to me right i love to hear you say that yeah and i i i'll i never make the nhl without that 100 percent. there's no way so and that's where it's like yeah i was an idiot but 
And again, I'm not advocating for people to go no, start no. playing with gas and fire <laughs> and like go do stupid shit. Thanks for but, put the public service announcement at the bottom of this podcast. This is yeah, in no way advocating. Disclaimer. Yeah, yeah. yeah. The opinions but, of the guests do not reflect the opinions of the, of the show. Right. But I think, I mean, I, it's more my point is that adversity is going to find us all in some form at some point in our lives. It's not a matter of, sorry, it's not a matter of if it's when, right? And I think. You you can maybe relate the to that. Ready, the teacher the teacher shows up. Sometimes the teacher yeah. it doesn't show up as another individual. Like it's easy to think right. About. And so okay. I I found that out uh, within months of that injury. I realized like wow, I would have never like this really opened up a whole new world for me and a superpower with the visualization and like what yeah, yeah. what we're really truly capable of. So I got that right away. Well, not okay. right away, but over the course yeah, of yeah, a yeah. few months, but what we just talked about, like really, really like looking back that and diving into kind of how, how it's shaped me as, as a man. And I think a lot of that is just experience and age. Um, because at the end of the day, like I still embodied that fighter stereotype. Um, I shouldn't say stereotype, but that was my, that was still my role after that incident. Yeah. 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 That was right. kind of the, so, that's an arch, there's an archetype if you want to get into that kind of terminology around that role. And also you were moving into a world of professional sport where there was very much a role for that. Individual. Totally. Yeah. yeah and yeah, I, yeah. and I, I tell people that, and this has changed me a lot too, where I physical and mental adversity for me in my, like, again, late teens through my twenties, even a lot of physical and mental adversity. I'm really good at that. You put something in front of me, physical or mental adversity, like I can overcome anything. And I, I believe that. Uh, spiritual and emotional adversity for me after hockey was over and all the things that happened in my life after that, like that was arguably the darkest time in my life. And I was like a young, immature boy in this, the, the emotional and spiritual aspect. And I was totally lost. And I think having, to navigate through that with like i said being that immature little boy from in that sense has really i, I think softened me in some ways and mm -hmm. uh really opened up different worlds and so again reflecting back i think i have a different i guess outlook on the burn incident specifically than i did at the time if that makes sense so. yeah no it's, it totally does yeah, I'm curious. Something I love. I love physical, mental, and now you separated spiritual and emotional. We'll kind of get through that. And as my audience knows, we'll keep pulling back to the timeline. But there's <laughs> these little rabbit holes I got to go down when they. Come I know. Up. Yeah, yeah. Because I love them. I love them. But physical, I think that one's an easy one to stand on its own pillar. Like, oh, physical adversity. But when you start mental, spiritual, and emotional, that's an interesting balance because spirit and emotional to me fit together really naturally. Mm -hmm. But to almost separate mental from that, that's, that's an interesting one because where does that line come start and stop between yeah. where spiritual and emotional starts and mental, and maybe it's not start or stop, but I loved how you, you categorize those. I'm just curious about how you see mental even separate from spiritual and emotional. Yeah, I think for me, you know, mostly that, that physical adversity, how it associated with um, the mental was basically and, and again we can talk about this the journey of what in the burn unit but for me it was like can you deal with this level of pain that's a that's mental yeah right yeah um the mental toughness deal, that goes with the you, physical toughness can you yeah. deal with this amount of yeah uh i i feel like emotional and, and spiritual spirituality and, and emotionality is it's almost like a higher level of mental awareness for me so i think i agree that I think they fall in the same sort of category, but yeah, just again, the emotional spiritual piece, I think is that kind of next level up, if you will. Yeah, no, I absolutely, absolutely. I'm just curious how you define yeah. it because I, it was so clear how you articulated them, which I really, really appreciated. And yeah, I, I tend to agree, but just agreeing I, doesn't let the audience in on what we're thinking. So it's good to unpack it, it right? <laughs> no, it's interesting. Like if you were to tell me to define that, it would be a little bit trickier, I guess. But yeah, I, for sure. Me, well, well I, won't, I won't put you on that spot because no, it but, is. They, they are conceptual and it is a yeah. feeling, but I just appreciate how clear you articulated that. I, I really like that. Yeah, but that's good. We have to come up with a good definition of, of that. But I, yeah, again, I think it's Hey, man, just, we're only 10 minutes in. We've got lots of time. We're going <laughs> to we're, we're gonna solve all the world's problems. Um, it's uh, some higher awareness, I think. 
that, yeah, that that connection to something bigger and even yeah. outside of self. But when you're getting yeah. through pain, that's it. That's you're there's you're not any more connected to yourself when you're dealing with pain like that. And I've yeah. had minor burns. I can't even. I can. I can't imagine. That's why it freaks me out because I don't want to imagine what that would. Be. Um, yeah. Okay, you're in the burn. You're in the burn unit, and we're not going to go totally play by player. We'll be here for four hours. We'll do full Joe Rogan. <laughs> but you're in the burn unit, and you're a young kid. You're 19, 20 years old. You did this knucklehead thing, which whatever. That's irrelevant at that, this point. Now you're in the situation dealing with it. You're burned from the waist down, so that's got all kinds of layers of complexity. I don't want it really as another man. I don't. I'm really scared to unpack. Well, it's even more than that. It was basically like, I, so I was 100 percent burned. Oh like, wow! Yeah, yeah. Because so, you had the sweater on that was soaked through. Yeah, I can picture it. Like your, your body well, became a wick. <laughs> well, even, yeah, I mean, we're, we're jumping back and forth. But even, you know, during the burn accident, so like my clothes were all burnt off. I had no, there's nothing left. And once that happens, there's still, yeah, like you can't put out the gas fire. So I'm bare skinned. The fire still goes and you can't, you have to smother it, right? Oof. Yeah. Uh, which I don't know in the moment, of course. No, fight or flight. Um, right. And finally, you know, again, there's a lot more too. Finally, I got tackled from behind and was obviously on fire for too long. If we got, got put out, we, we got me to the hospital. We couldn't call 911, which, you know, didn't help anyone. So we had to find someone. Thankfully, one of the guy's girlfriends wasn't drinking. Um, speed to the hospital. And yeah, like, so I was in no pain at the time until that shock started wearing off. And then there was yeah something I'll never forget. But, uh, and then I get airlifted to Vancouver general a a couple hours later. And, uh, and yeah, so I was again, burned a hundred percent. And then what I found out, uh, once I had my first debridement procedure, which is not a, not a fun procedure. I mean, I call it torture basically where they just skin you alive, but uh that's when i the doctor kind of relayed hey you're you're 40 percent second third degree burns so that was basically from like nipples to knees was the 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 mat the third degree areas <laughs> yeah so fast forwarding into rehab and recovery and everything that goes with that and you said earlier about you know so appreciative of that because it brought to you the ability to visualize and so was that something that just talk about how that kind of showed up? Was it from a coach or from a mentor or someone from outside? Was it from reading? Was it your own internal journey? Like that mental toughness that started to show up and just curious of the, the tactics or how you started to then kind of materialize this strategy of survival in your mind. Yeah. So there's a very definitive moment. So once this doctor tells me that what I said, you know, 40%, you're very lucky to be alive. It's going to be a long recovery. Uh, I asked about hockey because I had one more year left of, of junior eligibility and my NHL was just, was always the NCAA. I just wanted to get a scholarship. I never thought about playing pro hockey. Like I wasn't really that good. I didn't have a reason to think that. <laughs> so I'm like, so yeah, you, you had some, you had a sense of reality. At that yeah. Time. I'm like, man, I just want to get a scholarship. Like if it's div one, div three, that that's, that's my NHL and you know, playing junior A, that's what I was trying to do. And until for those first two years i hadn't even talked to a scout yet so i'm like man i got one more crack at this one more year of eligibility and i'm like again i was going to see that through and i was confident i could get some sort of scholarship because we i mean vernon was one of the best teams in the league which helps and uh so i asked this i'm laying in the burn unit now wrapped like a full mummy my whole body's wrapped little eye slits and my mouth right or oh that's all you can see and i asked this doctor like I have camp in three and a half months and I'll never forget the look on his face. And it was one of just, he just froze and, and I could tell right away. I was like, Oh shit, my career's over. And he just said, listen, you're not, these recoveries take years, not months. He's like, you're not going to be playing hockey in a few months. You're going to make a full recovery. Let's just focus on that. You're going to be in here for a while. And I was like, wow. Okay. And so that was it for me. And that was my first two weeks in the burn unit was career over. What the hell am I going to do with my life now? And I, again, so this definitive moment came from, from my call from my coach two weeks in and my parents put the phone up to my ear. Cause remember I can't grab anything. Like my hands are totally wrapped. And I talked to him and he said, Hey, I just got off the phone with 
the coach from one of the coaches from Brown University and he told me they're looking for this a specific type of player and his exact words were we want a guy to put the fear of God in the defenseman of the Ivy League and my coach is like I got the perfect guy for you there's just you know one major problem <laughs> you know he's he's up in the burn unit and the future doesn't look very promising and so he said you know listen they want to talk to you give them a call I know you got the time and that was kind of that so I, I my parents take down the number and I talked to this coach from Brown and it was left very open-ended they you know they said we're sorry to hear what happened we wish you the best in recovery and that was kind of it but there was interest and and for me I, I remember the we hung up the phone and I got really emotional because I'm like again thinking back and I'm like I've worked my whole life to talk to one of these guys and like now I've done that look where I am look what I've done to myself and so that's when I I started asking myself questions I started asking why I'm like okay I can't play hockey so why why can't I play hockey and there was a really good list of reasons <laughs> you know <Yep. laughs> infection infection was probably the the biggest you know, with burns, there's a major mm-hmm. risk of infections. I, I had open second degree burns for like six months. They just wouldn't, they wouldn't close. So that was a big one. The skin grafts were going to be very limiting, very painful. I mean, the take of those is just very slow. It's a long maturation process and that's just, you know, it takes a while. Uh, you can't sweat from third degree area, burn areas because you burn through everything. Can't feel it. Can't sweat. So there's major complication there. Again, this is before my grafting surgery. So once you creep up to like 40-50% potential skin grafts, if your heart rate gets too high and you can't sweat, there's major complications there, yeah. right? So that was a reason. I had to wear a full body suit for 2 years. Uh it just went on and on and basically again going back to the pain thing I said, well, basically, you're telling me it's going to hurt. And, you know, that was, it can't be worse than what I've experienced. So bring it on. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and so that's where I realized, like, I'd, or I, I, I told myself, I'm like, I don't accept this, this gavel you've laid down on me. I'm, I can, I've almost gotten that dream ripped, or I did get it ripped away from me. And, there's all these reasons that aren't good enough for me. And I, so I made a choice and I think there's a lot of power in again, making a choice, especially in those tough times where it seems like we don't have a choice. I had a choice and I didn't realize it those first two weeks. And, um, and so that's where people always ask me, like, how did you discover visualization? And this is exactly how I was bedridden in a burn unit. I couldn't move. And once I had made this choice, I had heard of visualization and, you know, never really practiced it. Um, but I figured that was my only, that was my only chance. And so I just started imagining all these things that I wanted. You know, I, I imagine healing at like a cellular level. And I imagine like reframing the pain almost as if my body was like consuming it and, and eating the pain, if that makes sense. And just knowing it's your body healing, right? Um, walking out of the burn unit, suiting up for the that first game in the fall, and being around the guys, and almost painting like a movie in my mind, and just living in this other reality, uh, which was really, really, really powerful. And uh, and then ending it with that signing that commitment letter to Brown, and I just obsessed over that all day, every day, and just lived in. I almost transported myself into this other reality. And I mean, we're jumping ahead, but the crazy thing was like, it worked. And I was Dude, like, this is awesome. I love the story, man. I knew we were going like, to get into it and I kind of knew the high points, but not the, not the gritty. Did, did anyone yeah. give you guidance or did, was it a book or was it just simply you had an idea, you had a concept and you just started exploring it with your own thoughts? It was, just, it was just exploring it. I, again, I had, you know, have heard of the, heard of the mm-hmm. term visualization and figured I knew what it meant. But I think I just the mm-hmm. just the the belief, and that's the that's like the pillar of of what you know I teach and what this practice gave me was that just untouchable sense of 
of belief where like my mindset was like, I was willing to die before giving up on that. I really was. I mean, again, infection was a major, major risk. And I'm why well, I said, well, I'll deal with that if it comes my way. And again, my, my, I'm a little bit different now, almost 40 with kids and not to say I don't have, you know, similar mindset, but especially in your young twenties, I, I, when I say that, I, I mean it, I was willing to die before giving up on that. And not much that can stop you when you have that mindset, not right. And, uh, yeah, just the, the, it was like, I, I felt like I unlocked a superpower with the visualization piece. And that doesn't mean it was easy. You know, <laughs> no, I hope I like, no one is, I hope no one's misunderstanding that. Well, <laughs> totally. just, I mean that more from a sense where, you know, the, the body is like the governor, right? So uh, once I had this mindset and this practice dialed in and, and my mind made up, my body fought back with everything it had. Like I had kidney stones. I had an appendectomy. They had to cut through my skin graft to get my appendix out because I was like pushing my body way harder than I should have been. Interesting. Okay. Right. And so my body's screaming at me like, we're trying to heal from a major trauma and graft surgery. And you're like trying to do chin-ups on your hospital bed and like walk when you're not even supposed to be moving. Mm-hmm. And uh, again, I'm not, I don't advocate for people to like defy medical experts, but I mean, I almost accepted that, that diagnosis or prognosis. Right. And, um, and if I would have, my, my, my life would look a lot different. Well, it's such a powerful example that you can scale up and scale down. I appreciate the, you know, kind of, it's, it's beyond reproach because you went through it and it was your journey and it was a 10 out of 10 or a 12 out of 10 if you want to rate it. But mm-hmm. how many times in our life do we give up or do we accept a diagnosis, whatever that is, or someone's like, oh, you're no good at that, or just at this most simple level. And we accept it. And the second we believe it, you're kind of, you're kind of, you can, you're fucked. <laughs> you know, you when are. it's something that pulls away and you took it to the, such an amazing example to use as a, as a demonstration to show people what's possible. But how often does that sneak into people's everyday life where we believe oh, something that's completely taking away from our best interest, but yet we believe it and don't even realize sometimes how it sneaks in. And that can be a peer, a parent, somebody of influence in your life that gives you a piece of information that doesn't serve you. Somehow it served them in the moment because of their trauma or their whatever. And you take it on like the truth. And then you wonder why the next 10 years you're never able to feel good about such and such. Or I just think right. it's such a great example that you lived at the highest degree, man. I love it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I, th- uh, I how think much did the world around you conspire to tell you to stop? Like, I can only imagine that the mm-hmm. whole world around you was like, what are you doing? Like everyone was trying to break down that belief because they believed it was the right thing to do. Not because they were trying to hold you back. <laughs> yeah. I, I, it, it was most people thought I was crazy, which I, I mean, I, I was <laughs> I at the end of the day, it was, it was especially hard for my parents, right? Because they saw a lot of it. Yeah. Um, they didn't know that I was getting sh- loaded up with, you know, painkillers. Uh, I mean, this was back. So, so this different back then you as the athlete made the choice if you played or not, not the doctor. So that's flipped now. And for, for good reason. So you talk about like concussions, I mean, I played way too many games with concussions that I shouldn't have been playing because, again, you made the choice. If you say you're good, you're good, when, even when you're not. So if that would have happened today, I don't know if, I mean, in that mm-hmm. mindset, yeah, they, would have had, they would have had to chain me to the wall to get me to, to not go out. But <laughs> it was, so it was different, but it was especially hard on my parents because, like I said, they, they knew most of that journey um, they again they didn't know i was getting shot up with painkillers just so i could play that fall i mean i was on crutches to and from the rink just I, like i could barely walk still so again i the doctors were right i shouldn't have been playing but i had this mindset in this again i would this movie in my head that i knew i was gonna go live i just knew it and i wasn't willing to stop so it was it was tough for people in my close circle to support me but i have to give my parents credit i remember when i told my dad in in the burn unit the first time i went outside it was like three weeks into my stay and i so i had had this choice made up 
And by that time, I hadn't got my surgery yet, but I was able to get lifted in a wheelchair and I got wheeled outside. And, you know, I, I don't know, I just, I remember it so clearly that the fresh air finally. And I remember, you know, my dad saying like, man, what a crazy, f-. I mean, they didn't know if I was dead at when the, when they got the call that night. Right. So he's like, he's like, well, my nickname was hub as a kid. So he's like, hub, I mean, this has been a, a crazy few weeks. Like you're, you're going to make a, you're going to be okay. Like it was finally they're like, you're going to be okay. And I just remember saying, I'm like, dad, I'm going to be better than okay. I'm going to go and play at Brown. And he think I could tell he thought I was like crazy. And, and I could tell he was reluctant, but he said, well, you don't stop until you call us from your dorm room at Brown then. And we support you. And I don't know if, I mean, I could tell that, you know, he didn't think that, but he, yeah, he, yeah, yeah. he told yep. me that. Yep. And uh, so they were very supportive in that journey, as hard as it was for them, for sure. Dude, that's intense. Okay. Well, fast forward a little bit to kind of pull the audience through the, the story. You know, I, I could literally go month by month. So 2005, <laughs> you're, so you're at Brown, you play at Brown in the fall. How, where, like, no, what's no, the, let's, let's fast forward. Yeah. When, when, were you, when were you in the NHL? Let's kind of fill the gap between 05 and starting in the NHL. Yeah, so I, I ended up getting my scholarship later that year but still had that last year in vernon so i actually i got my scholarship and then i stopped playing the whole rest of the whole year because i could barely like once i had done it i had to give myself permission to like get healthy for the next year um so i stopped got healthy went to brown and that was so when i got to brown like my perspective on life a had changed when you go through an accident like that and I, i just and then I just had fun. Like I worked my ass off being a, a student athlete and a, a U.S. college. And but yeah, again, I just took it all in and had, had fun and didn't really think like, what's next? <laughs> hmm. You know. And again, I so I took pre med, and I figured I would go, you know, maybe not be a doctor, but something in in, in sports medicine or something like that. Mm-hmm. And. uh that was my first three years at Brown. And then after my junior year, I got a, uh, or I was talking with my coach, one of my coaches, I think he was one of the assistant coaches pulled me aside and he's like, Hey, you ever thought about playing pro hockey? And so I'm 24 now. Yeah. And so pretty, well, most guys that are playing pro hockey are, are they're already there. Right. Or they've thought, you know, they're going to do this. And I remember laughing and I was like, no, (laughs) I've never, never even thought about it. And he said, you know, I really think if, you know, you worked on your game and, you know, develop some of that skill stuff. I mean, I know you can hit and skate. I know you can fight. You couldn't fight in college, but he knew in junior, right? And I remember going home that night and thinking like, man, what have I been doing these last three years? If, like if I thought back to the burn unit and I said, if, if I can do that, like why can't I play in the NHL? That seems easier than what I did, you know, a few years ago. And so curious, did you kind of park the whole visualization technique? I did. Oh, interesting. Okay. Like back to your bike. I just kind of had fun and now interesting. So you had it, you saw the benefits of it, but you got the goal and then you kind of parked it. Okay. I appreciate that. Well, that was it. Yeah. I didn't have the where, I didn't have the wherewithal to think like, Hey dummy, maybe you could do something else. (laughs) Maybe you, maybe, maybe maybe your psyche needed a few (laughs) days off too. Like there's that too, man, you know? Right. (laughs) Like you said, you gave yourself permission. I really like that term. And I think giving ourselves permission for things is powerful. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And so, yeah, I just, I didn't really think to keep doing it because I had done what I thought I reached my peak. I thought that was my peak. And once this, this coach told me that he's like, I really think you could have a good shot in the, the AHL, which is the league right below the NHL. Uh, for you know, have a five ten year career, maybe go to Europe and who get a shot in the show one day, maybe if you really worked on your game. And so again, I was like, wow. And then I, I immediately thought back to that that burn unit, and then I <laughs> I again had this like almost like had to slap myself like, what have you been doing these last three years? <laughs> and uh, so again, I made a choice. I said, okay, let's do this. I'm going to go play in the NHL. And I made that choice at 24 years old. And again, I had to go back to what I knew. And that was the mind and how powerful that visualization practice was for me. And again, gave myself a bit of permission to, okay, 
you, you maybe didn't have the wherewithal of to think like, what else could you do? But you're here now. And I went back to, and that's where I really got the idea of, so I call it cinematic mind mapping, like really creating a movie of what I wanted that journey, what I wanted my life to look like. And I lived in that reality every single day. And I mean, the mental side's huge. Obviously, there's a physical component as well to, to training, right? I think when they're supplemented together and the obsession that grew from me transporting myself and living as that version of, of Aaron, it really drove me to do. I mean, I, I basically tell everyone I made the NHL because I did shit no one else would do, really. Mm-hmm. And uh, hardest, I wasn't the hardest, the hardest working guy in the room. I wasn't that talented. I really wasn't. Yeah. yeah. Um, and so and, that's where it an unhealthy, pre- a healthy obsession or an unhealthy obsession. It's just a term that I hear get thrown around. So, well, that's an unhealthy obsession. I'm like, Oh, that's an interesting way to define it. Would you, do you, do you, do you quantify either one either way or just an obsession? I don't think there's an, well, I shouldn't say there. I guess there are unhealthy <laughs> obsessions. <laughs> we're, we're wading into yeah. like interesting territory. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Um, I, d- I mean, that wasn't unhealthy. I wouldn't yeah. have made the NHL without it. So I don't, Fair for enough. me, that's, that's not unhealthy. Um, and it's not to say I didn't make some sacrifices. So, that was my next question. I guess the unhealthy comment sometimes comes from the people that are impacted around you, whether it's friends, family, right. or you know, people seeing you putting yourself in harm's way because you're so obsessed with the outcome. And it, it's a slippery slope, and it's completely personal. I was, I, so, I was just curious, because the, the outcome at all costs there's always a price to pay. And some of them are just prices that other people, Oh, you're not hanging out with your friends. You're, you're like, well, yeah, but that's not important to me. Right. because It doesn't meet my goal. Right. So, you know, sometimes you gotta be careful with the outs, external judgments of what is a healthy or unhealthy obsession. So we can talk about that. I mean, maybe we're jumping ahead, but I went through that with my career ending neck injury. Uh, so I went through that dude, again with the injuries, man. God damn. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, yeah, well, We'll get there. I'm feeling for you, brother. You're like, (laughs) the world keeps going, oh, this guy needs another lesson. Wham. (laughs) Right? I know. Yeah. Holy shit. It's been a ride for sure. But so, yeah. All right. So you you get in. How long were you? How long did you play in in the NHL? So I played five and a half years. Um, So, yeah, just I guess before we we get there, it was, well, again, what was crazy for me was how effective is an understatement. Just... (laughs) the superpower that that gave me again. And so I was like, holy shit, like why haven't I been leveraging this for three years? Because I mean, I went from in, in six months, no one knowing who I was in the NHL to probably being a top three or top five NCAA free agent. And I had offers from half the teams in the league in six months. So it literally came out of nowhere. And uh, that's, that's awesome. And then, so I signed with, with the Canucks uh, out of my senior year at Brown, a two-way. So, I mean, people think, I mean, it's funny, people were knocking on my parents' door in little old Revelstoke, like, you've won the lottery. You, you guys did it. <laughs> and they're like, ah, he's starting the AHL probably. So just, and even at that, you know, <laughs> uh, I mean, you make good money, but it's not, it's not like that, right? Yeah, um, unless you're, unless you're, you know, the top, top. 20, 30% in the league. Sure. You can, you can play for five, 10 years and retire happy. Definitely. That wasn't me. Uh, gotcha. So that, so that was interesting, but I had to start in the AHL and then again, like literally fight my way into the NHL from there. So the work kind of, you know, it just, it really just starts once you sign that deal. Um, but so I played five and a half years pro from there because of this neck injury, unfortunately. Cinematic mind mapping. And to get it, let's unpack that a little bit because the audience is probably like, when are they going to talk about how he does the thing? Like, how do you do the thing? <laughs> how do you do is the this thing? like, a, is this a daily practice? Is it a form of meditation? Is it a constant check and balance that you're running in your mind? Like, I love the idea of the movie. I'm visual, so that really plays for me. And right. I've done different coaching around NLP and different modalities where you bring the picture and you make it brighter and you turn it up and you do all the manipulations. And it's yeah. amazing how, like, psychologically, that can shift your views on something or minimize a fear, mm-hmm. or that kind of stuff. But that's a practice. That's a dedicated, sometimes guided. Yeah. Is this a practice or is this a 24-7 mindset that you're kind of running this movie all the time? Uh, it, so it's, I would say it's both. I would say the okay. practice drives the mindset. Mm. Um, so definitely a, a daily practice. So now, you know, with, with my life experiences, and I've had, you know, other ones after hockey with, with 
the mind and the power of visualization as well. So I've had <laughs> all these experiences. And so now for me, I've realized that like, man, this should have always been a daily practice, right? And obviously, you know, my movie looks looks different now than it did when I was a professional athlete, right? So now I think about what do I want my life to look like now? What do I want this business I do now? And and how do I want the book to help people? Um, so I, I weave that in, right? But and is this like you wake up every morning and you spend 10 minutes? Like, I'm, I'm, yeah. I guess I'm comparing it to like a, a daily meditation practice. So just lack of better comparison, right? So it's a, it's a form of meditation. Yeah. So, I mean, you've probably heard of this, but if you imagine you're, your brain has this big screen TV that all your you know thoughts and images are projected onto this screen, right? And again, thinking about, I always tell my clients like, if if your life was a movie, what what would you want that to look like? And you get to be whoever you want in your visualization practice in your movie. You, so there's no limits here. So you be, what are your biggest dreams? And identify that i mean there's more like so in my programs like we start right at the beginning like what are the opening scenes of this where are you right now and identifying where you want to go and then there's this huge long journey in in between or in the middle Mm -hmm. that we we shape that and we visualize it and of course you know we can't predict the future everyone agrees with that um but but we can affect the future and influence the future greatly with what we're projecting onto that green right mm-hmm. and what i've you know realized and even researched and i get to learn about some of this at brown which is really cool because i you know started learning i started learning about what i had gone through which was really eye opening and then when i had this talk with my coach it kind of just all culminated and came together for this perfect storm but it's what's the most important thing is to create that that experience right where if I'm just, if I just think about something, it's not quite enough versus when I, so when I had, you know, in the burn unit at Brown, when I had, you know, that ending movie of the NHL and really creating that experience, that's when you start evoking change in the brain, when you can create the experience. And to do that, you have to have the emotion piece behind it, right? So do you, you need to feel something in the visualization, right? If you're just, and it, it takes practice. It's like I still struggle with meditation sometimes because, I mean, visualization I'm great at, but there's other forms of meditation where, you know, it takes practice. Visualization is the same. So you might not feel emotion right away. And, but with practice, you know, and if we can add layers and scenes to the movie, you'll start to feel that. And that's when you'll start to notice changes and then you'll notice you start feeling different right and i mean that's when you can create that experience and almost like i said transport yourself into this other reality Mm -hmm. you start feeling different and you start projecting different energy into the world um and you're i mean that's what manifestation is really Mm -hmm. right when you start attracting that back and and feeling different and you're you're walking around in the present as that future person and I, I lived that at Brown. I, I had already played in the NHL, and I, I had already been there. I knew I was going there. Um, and I, when, you're, when you're fabricating, the, when you're working on the movie, do you add smells? Do you add sights? Do you add sounds? Like, do, you add, do you bring in other the emotions? From some of the visualization yeah. exercise I've done in the past, that was so, all of a sudden, that's when it changed it. And like, okay, now brighten it up. Make it bigger. Yeah. Okay. And now how does it make you feel? Okay. Just, oh, it's the best thing ever. And really, because really you're manipulating neuroplasticity and allowing the brain to what wires, to, what fires together, wires together and there starting go, to rewire yeah. those pathways. Right. I haven't pulled that out, that saying out for a while. <laughs> yeah, no. And we, yeah, I mean, I use that and we definitely, so you're bang on like different senses. We need to make it as, as real and vivid as possible. You know, we explore like first person versus third person. Oh, I That's love first, that, second, third. You're watching you. You're looking back. You're yeah. in the corner of the room. That's super powerful to do that. Like it really, I find people that are struggling with it. As soon as you say, okay, well now imagine you were looking back at yourself and give them some movement sometimes to move around. And it yeah. sometimes helps break people out of like, oh, I can't, I can't. The yeah. I can't, the I can't mindset, right? I know. Yeah. And it's, so I mean, yeah, that, and that's a whole other topic, but science, <laughs> totally. Sci- totally. science tells us that the first person is the most effective because it's the most, it's real. You are that person in your mind, right? But 
the third person is, I don't want to call it like an introductory pipe, but it's, it's, I would say it's slightly easier to visualize yourself from afar. Most, most people, most clients I have find that it's also really good for what I call a highlight reel. So, um, yeah, we're, we're, so we're adding different layers into this movie, but I think we'll dive into like, there's two types of visualization. Okay. Uh, but before we do that, like going back to the sound, so soundtrack, like I get my clients to what's, what's the soundtrack to a movie. I mean, if you think of like a really good movie and you remove the soundtrack, it has a very different feel now. <laughs> it does. Right. It's not a great, it's not as good of a movie anymore. And our brains l- really like music. They find it rewarding, right? It, the same areas light up as other like euphoric stimuli out there. And so it can definitely add another uh, important layer to it. And again, just make it seem that much more impactful and really drive the emotion piece. Like that's the key. Um, so I, pre- I appreciate your comment about really driving the emotion, like to really have impact, you need to feel it. You have to. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. Um, so yeah, but going back to the two types, two types of visualization, and this is where, especially with athletes that I work with, where I say, okay, the first type of visualization is rehearsal imagery. And that's what most people think of visualization. They think of the execution of that skill in their sport, okay. right? When I ask, if I ask 99.9% of the athletes, they say it, it's me like executing the skill or it's yep. how, how I, I'm playing the game, how I would want myself to play it. So that's, and that's exactly true. But it, I mean, again, how can we make that real and how can you create that like trust and preparation and feel that increase in confidence through that, uh, the repetition of that successful execution of those okay. skills. So that gets weaved into the journey part of this movie, right? Where you're okay. seeing yourself in that upcoming game, again, making it real. So for example, if I was playing, if, if Brown was playing Harvard, in Harvard's rank, and I know I'm playing Harvard on Saturday, all that week in the journey of my movie, I'm having a, a few minutes of space for me executing those skills in that game coming up. So I've already placed myself there. And then when that game happens... In the, in my, the bigger context. <laughs> right, and my brain goes, oh yeah, we've already, we've done this like a hundred times, hundreds of times in our head now. Yeah. So we know how this goes and that's not to guarantee you're not going to screw up or make a mistake, right? That's just not. Uh, but it also blurs the line between what the brain perceives as, as, you know, when we go, oh, that was real or that was made up. Well, does the brain even know the difference? It, and all the research right. around that, it doesn't know the difference. <laughs> it doesn't know Same. the difference. If, if you can make it real yeah. and vivid and yeah. evoke emotion, it doesn't know the difference. And so exactly, right? So the other side, the other type of visualization is, is what I call the belief, or you can call it manifestation imagery, right? So that's where you really start tapping in and, and rewiring that those connections, those neural connections, and really transporting yourself into this other reality and affecting your, your energy differently, right? So if someone's and, getting into it, rehearsal obviously would be the, the place to start where it's kind of foundational. And we, most of us, if you've done any sport or any activity, you've practiced in your head before you go out on the racetrack or whatever. You're like, okay, I'm going to do that corner this way. Yeah. But there's very different when you take it to that next level. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So like, and I, if I talk to someone, you know, that's not a client or even when, if I was to just have like a one hour call, I would say, and if they would ask me, well, how would I, can I implement this like right now? And I would say, okay, there's two types. So the first type, Put yourself in that upcoming game. If you're in the off season, your brain will get creative. Just think of a way to make it as real as you can and go through, say, if I was to say, you know, Tyler, you're, let's say you're a golfer and I would say, okay, well, there's what three areas of your game would constitute you having like the best round of your life. Mm -hmm. I mean, golf's easy. You could say, well, like off the tee approach (laughs) and putting. Right. And you could just be like executing all of those in your head. So those would be the three areas. And then you could go through all the iterations of those in your mind as a guideline, if that makes sense. Right. And I mean, again, you want to feel it. So you with golf, there's all the pressure points in the feet and the takeaway and hand placement and ball contact and hip movement and head movement. All these things that golfers know have to be in place 
you want to inject that into the visualization, right? Mm-hmm. So again, place yourself in that upcoming round or tournament, or you know, if it's hockey or basketball or whatever, then that upcoming game. What are three areas and just execute those in your mind and make it as real as possible. Put yourself in the upcoming game, right? And then the other on the the belief uh, imagery side is identifying like what's that guiding star? What like what's your dream? And think of it like the ending of a movie, right? So what do you see? Who's there? What can you what can you touch? What can you what can you feel? Um, what can you hear? What can you yeah again smell taste right and i i mean i know for me the f- the ending of my movie in that nhl dressing room for the first time like i i could see um or sorry i could smell the taste or <laughs> taste of the jersey i could smell the jersey like you know like that uh yep. like that new jersey smell or new clothing smell or whatever right mm-hmm. um and literally I appreciate and how visceral and there. putting the effort and energy to make it come alive and make it and make it real. yeah <laughs> it's funny back in it was 22, 23. I was a pilot and I was doing my multi-commercial IFR flight test, which is the pinnacle flight test at the time, at, at okay. that point in your career. Yeah. It's when you're multi-engine, you're flying instrument panel, all the things. And I remember lying in bed doing number one. And I think back to it as, and always as the most, I ran through that flight test because you practice it and it's a very, yeah. you know exactly what's coming. I basically laid in bed and worked on it and, until every time I made, I thought I made an error, I'd go back and start the flight over again. And I kept flying and kept flying yeah. and kept flying. And the next day when I did the test, I got ahead of the instructor. He's like, oh, you already did that. Oh, and it was interesting. And I got one of the highest things he'd ever awarded at the time or whatever. And I completely accredited cool. to the rehearsal. And I must have laid there yeah. for two hours, just rehearsing, 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 because I'd practiced so much. I knew the moves. And you know, I look back on that as probably the most pinnacle example in my life of when it like, why haven't I used it more? Because it works so freaking good <laughs> at that it's time. Crazy, so it's yeah. all coming back to me. Listen to you talk. <laughs> yeah, no, that's really cool. I mean, I think that's like a perfect. So there's so many examples, right? Like that's yeah, a that's great just example. Popping into my mind as you're talking. My, like, oh yeah, I remember it now. <laughs> yeah, my experience and my examples are one. I mean, there's so many out there. Like I always yeah. reference guys like Michael Phelps. He was a really good one. Yeah, there's and lots of great documentation. There's so many. I mean, I remember when they asked him, "What do he? He's like 28 or 30 medals or whatever, like the most decorated Olympian of all time." And they they literally asked him, "What does this feel like?" And his reply was, "It felt like I imagined it would." He, he already <laughs> done it. Awesome. What a great <laughs> answer! That's an awesome answer. And <laughs> but again, like the rehearsal imagery, like visualizing every little phase of that that race. He would even imagine like the swim, his goggles filling up with water, and if it happened, it just wasn't a big deal because he'd right? already been there before. He'd, he'd already done it. So, so I mean, there's so many. No, I love it, man. Yeah. I love it. Thanks for getting into it. Like we're 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 gonna, gotta reward the audience sooner or later with the nuts and bolts of the actual the thing. <laughs> right. Um, yeah. From the perspective, so talk to me a little bit about and we touched on it earlier. Obviously, you played until you couldn't play anymore due to an injury. You really talked about the spiritual and the emotional side of kind of what happened as you now exited on the other side of the NHL. Yeah. Well, so I wanted to touch on that with with my neck injury, and so I had my spine fused. Uh, five six vertebrae which now they're doing more disc replacements but at the time it was still the fusion yeah so and i think the technology's changed a lot and so for me i had another year on my contract and i'm trying to come back it's around christmas the last year of my deal I haven't played for a long time and but my neck's not it's in bad shape and i had to make a choice i'm like Either I try and come back from this or it's probably over here because no one's going to be give me a contract if I haven't played in you know, a couple of years kind of thing. And so I made the choice to, at the time, to come back and give this thing a go. Like, I want to keep playing. And it got so bad and so uncomfortable and so painful that I had to go. I went and saw the surgeon and, you know, he, he didn't tell me that you know, my career was over, but he said, you definitely should not be playing with your neck like this because the risk of a double fusion or, or, you know, even something worse could happen. And that's again for me. So I'm now I'm 30 and I'm thinking about starting a family and I'm like, am I going to be able to pick up my kids one day? And I don't, you know, and so again, my mind shift was, 
Mm. Originally, I I had that like I'm not stopping. I'm I I'll die before I stop. And then again, life starts happening, and you have these different ideas of what that's going to look like. Again, I want to have kids. Do you want to put yourself at risk there and potentially, you know, be in a wheelchair, have a double fusion? And so I had to really, really kind of dive in onto that emotional side more and say, okay, like, yeah, you could do this and you, you could get another contract and make, you know, pretty good money for another couple of years. But w- would it be worth it at now? And after talking with my family and, and the doctors, it, I, it really, it wasn't worth it. And so that was it. And then that's when, again, I say life really hit me. And so you talk about like a loss of identity, right? Uh, totally. That rug was swept. You know, I didn't get to leave the game on my terms as much as maybe it sounds like, but I really didn't. I, you know, I wanted to be playing hockey and maybe like just retiring at what, what I am now. I'm almost 38 this year. And uh, so we have that loss of identity. And then shortly after that, I I was going through a divorce. Uh, My dad got sick. You know, I, I ended up working in wealth management, which, you know, wasn't it for me. And so I just, I really got pulled in, into the depths and was not in a good place. And I just, I remember one point sitting in my office after all this other stuff had, had happened in my life and thinking like, what the hell happened here? Like two years ago, I was in the NHL living out a dream and, and making pretty good money and had no cares in the world. Like what happened? Everything's gone to shit. And but I did at the time, again, you get sucked into that and sucked into what you think is your shitty life or what you're perceiving to be that. And so that's for me when I went back to, I mean, I, I had another kind of epiphany moment. I've had a lot of those in my life or fork in the roads where I was like, okay, no more. And then I had this, again, the visualization piece and I started living in this other reality. I'm like, I'm going to time to create a new movie here. And, but again, like I had let it slip, uh, because it's not easy either. Yeah. yeah. And, no, and once I had that, put the effort, that, that mental consistency yeah. to do something like that. And often it's so easy, you know, you, it, it, you stop doing the thing that got you to where you need to go once you get there. And that's a, such an easy trap fitness. Like there's so many things that they suck you in. Like and I I've, got in shape, but now I'm in shape. I'm just going to stop working out. Well, how do you think this is going to work? You know, like at the most yeah. simplest level, <laughs> at the most simplest level, just talking about fitness. <laughs> so it's taken me a few times or, or fork in the roads to realize this. And now, of course, I, you know, I practice this uh, daily, right? You built a business around it. No, I really, what I, I, what I love about your story, it, but... so much of it, but how, how humble you are. Like, yeah, no, I did it for a while. And then somehow it slipped away until I got reminded of it again. Like that, that journey, yeah. there isn't this one and done. And I found the solution and it's always perfect after that. It's so yeah. easy to also, you know, from the outside, when someone's looking at you going, oh, well, well, you did it. But what I love about your story is how honest it is and how real it is. Boom. And then, oh, stumble back down and life keeps showing up to kick you in the face, right? <laughs> Unfortunately. It just does, man. And it uh, does. Yeah. I think a lot of us can relate to, we all go through <laughs> adversity, right? And if you can have this, this practice, that's where we always think we have no control where, you know, you, you can control this. And, you know, it, it just, it, all that what, yeah. loud noise around you starts getting a little bit quieter, you know, and you have, again, for me, it's, it's all about that, that trust and belief in that journey and kind of reframing that, that adversity. And I mean, again, for me, like that real, really dark time all happened for a reason. And I would have never been where I am now without it you know, in my life and, and where everything's at. So again, I look back and I'm thankful for that. And at the time I would have said, you're crazy if I, I'd look back and I would be thankful for that. Right. It's so interesting. I've had so many people on the show at different times from like people surviving, you know, terminal cancer to people with like deep addictions and suicidal. And, and they all say best thing that ever happened to me because I made it through. Very yeah. rare do you see someone with something good happen and then they go, that was the best. Like, it's not the same. There is something about adversity. You said it right at the beginning of how like character and life defining it can be. And yet we, we, we cherish or we, we create celebrity around, oh, it's easy and life is just coasting. We have no problems. But yet the thing that actually defines us 
is the opposite of that. <laughs> it's right. such an interesting paradigm of the story or yeah. the picture we paint versus the people I know that talk the way you talk and kind of celebrate and have done the things. It's always, almost always because of some adversity that showed up in their life that they didn't have control of that then they then took control of. I guess right. maybe it's a simple way to say it. So anyways, we're good. you can't not get philosophical in this conversation. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, no, and I think again, like for anyone that is, is going or has gone through or, you know, will go through that <laughs> adversity. Like, if you go. think, if you think about it from the visualization standpoint and this, this cinematic uh, mind mapping technique, what makes the best movies, right? It's that, it's that comeback story. It's the that hero's journey, shot. man. The hero it's overcomes. The, the hero it's overcomes. the hero's journey. <laughs> like your movie, your life could be pretty effing epic if you wrote that, right? I mean, no one hears about the movies of like Johnny who's had like this pretty posh, no challenges life. You don't hear about those guys no. because or girls because what they haven't overcame anything. So again, like for me, it was all that much sweeter because of what I'd been through and this like space I had tapped into that I just had no idea about. Amazing. Talk to me time, a little right? bit about, about your practice. How many, how many clients do you work with? Cause you can certainly see how this has really morphed into a life's purpose. And now you're creating this legacy of passing it on to other people through your own, like, Hey, here's my journey. That's my credibility. That's my, that's my stamp. You know what I mean? Of, of accomplishment. Yeah. Let me share it with you. So is this like an ongoing coaching practice? You chat, you cook a couple clients a day. What does that, what does that look like? Yeah. So it's in good timing or interesting timing because I've just started moving all my business uh, to live online. So all I, I might've saw that on your LinkedIn. I might've saw that today. <laughs> yeah. I, so this is just happening because uh, I mean, I've gotten to a point where my one-on-ones, I, I only work with, you know, eight to 10 people at one time that I can't do more than that. That's a lot. That's a lot. Like in a one-on-one coaching environment, that's yeah, a full it's, load. Yeah, yeah, It's a full load. And again, I'm, you know, trying to write a book in there was a full-time job. So <laughs> no it's doubt. been, to say it's been crazy is an understatement for the last half of, for a really year writing the book. But, um, but part of that was I had to turn people away or a lot of people were like, they don't want to pay X amount for the one-on-one. So, you know, having it online really, Serves yep. both of the those people nice. that and you know, it creates I, something I, that's scalable. And if you've got a book now, and you're it's not scalable. restricted to like like you could be working with anybody anywhere. You know, again, I love totally. the world. Even you and I are having this podcast right now. I'm in Calgary. You're, you're, yeah. you're in Lake Country, and it really makes zero difference, right? Totally. Yeah, <laughs> it'd be good so, to be in the same room and go for a beer after. But other than that, this is pretty good. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, I, anyways, I am moving that to to live online. So there's different tiers where one is just self paced, and the middle one is like you you do we can have a call you know, you get other benefits and then the top tier would be kind of like a hybrid of the one-on-one nice. and the self-pace where there's calls along the way. I'll send you a book, those kind of things where you make it more of a package. But again, the self-pace one, a million people could do it. So that way I'm reaching more people, scaling it, like you said. And That's awesome. Um, yeah, I mean, for the people I haven't had space to work with in the past, we we have space now so nothing more frustrating <laughs> to be any type of a business and have business and not being able to serve especially in a way that you yeah. know what you serve is going to benefit that person at the end of the day if they do it and if they follow it's still always on it's still always on you the, the consumer to totally or the individual to do the thing but you know given those tools i i, I love it and man the credibility in your story it's beyond reproach <laughs> it's fantastic no i appreciate it yeah it's yeah, man, like i said I it's, love been it. a ride. <laughs> it's been a ride <laughs> yeah under but, uh, official understatement of the day yeah yeah <laughs> Yeah, but hey, no, so, the, so this first cohort's actually starting on the 13th, so in a couple weeks. Nice. Um, so, well, we're going to get this out pretty quick, so it'll probably yeah. be just coming out as that goes live. Yeah, Obviously, your book's available on Amazon and all, all the places you want to get books these days. Any, what's yeah. your, do you have, as an author, is there a preferred? Is like if someone goes downloads it on Amazon, is that good? Or is it better if they buy it from your website? Like, and I'm just curious on a guy with a book. What's the best way to get a book out there? And what have you seen work really well so far? Yeah, I mean, so... Like the events for me, I've, I've realized you don't really make money writing the book. It's what comes from the book, right? And that's been true, especially, you know, obviously being self-published. And it's more, I'd rather have the impact in the smaller community. I mean, if that, if it blows up and it's a huge community and there's a movie, like, cool, man. But like, <laughs> I know there's already a movie written in your head, man. <laughs> right. So I'm like, hey, nicely that, done. That's well, cool. if there happens but, to be a movie, I already know who's going to play me and I know the script. <laughs> yeah. I want to be an actor secretly, but no. Um, 
but yeah, so I mean, online's the best. My Amazon or my uh, website just directs you to Amazon, anyways. Okay, so, cool. Right on. I was just, cu- uh, I was just curious. Yeah, I'm on. But here. like, I'm on here in right terms now. of like, if I have events, <clears throat> which I you know been on this book tour, that brings. I mean, would bring me the most money in my pocket. Like. Yeah. We donated, and you're also uh, getting to meet a ton of people that might want to work with you, which is all about building community, like you said. Yeah, but a big part of the book was given back to the burn fund through the pro oh, some right of the on, proceeds. Man. Cool. So, nice. so we ended up raising over ten thousand dollars for the burn fund in that first couple months. Um, Amazing, and a lot of that gets driven through the on or the in person sales, right? Because, I mean. Amazon doesn't let you keep, yeah, yeah, I, keep yeah. too much. So, <laughs> yeah, 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 no, no, no doubt. It's almost yeah. like they have a business to make money, yeah, right? Yeah. So, but no, oh, very, you can definitely. Cool. That, that's awesome. Probably, you got that layer of purpose behind it. That's great, man. Probably the the easiest, yeah. And if someone wants to engage with you or get involved in your new program, um, what is? I didn't actually end up on your website today. What is your website? It's just my name, AaronVolpatti dot com. Oh, nice. Okay, perfect. And then you'll see uh, the course section. There has all the info on uh, on the program. Well, shit, yeah. thanks for coming on that was a great conversation i love your honesty and like willingness to go down a few different rabbit holes and you know we probably could have pulled this story out to like three four hours if we wanted to but we got <laughs> it we got it packed into an hour hour, hour and a bit so yeah, obviously no website we got uh, amazon go check go check it out there any if someone wanted to reach out with you and just have a chat is there do you have a preferred is it linkedin or is it email or is it just go through your website yeah it's probably just email is probably the best or i'm more active on like instagram Okay, cool. What's your Instagram? And, link- and LinkedIn. So it's all just my name. So at oh, Aaron Volpatti. Yeah. Wait, you got you got it. Someone else didn't get ahead of you on that one. <laughs> no, I know, right? Not too many apparently. So that's yeah, good. no. I'm gonna but, I'm gonna I'm gonna hit you up on uh, on on Instagram right now. If I have to. Yeah, Instagram. I'm trying to get better on LinkedIn. Um, I yeah. I mean, there's so many platforms. It's, oh, dude, I, I know. That's I why I asked. What's your preference? Because we all there's a million ways crazy, to get a hold yeah. of everybody. But yeah. yeah. No, boom. There. I just followed you. Uh, uh, cognitive performance coach. I love it. Uh, cinematic. I love like you brought back some good memories, even on some of this work I've done in the past. So yeah, yeah, that's might, might be kicking my visualization practice back into gear. You gave me a good kick in the ass, like, hey, if it worked once, why aren't you doing it now, jackass? I'm like, oh yeah, that's a good point. Good point. Right. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> <laughs> I got homework, man. I got homework. But Aaron, that was really fun, man. I really enjoyed the chat. Thanks for your honesty. Keep up the good work, man. I love you know what you're putting out to the world. I think it's great, man. Nice work. Yeah. Thanks, Tyler. Thanks, man. That's good. Thanks for having me.